words. I think that every single person in this room can say that at some point he's picked you up and put all the pieces back together. And he just wants us to be still and to just praise him and worship him. He fights our battles for us. He gives us victory even when we don't deserve it. He's just amazing. And I know that what Amy's going to share with us today, I'm so glad you're teaching today. But um, she's going to be speaking on worshiping in all circumstances, (laughs) no matter what you're in. A lot of times our praise goes before the battle and he hears our praises and we are victorious through him. But I'm going to just pray for Amy this morning. Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful time of worship. I thank you for Amy and her heart towards you and that she gladly and willingly said yes when she was asked to speak for this morning. And I thank you for what you've put on her heart and just her her life is a life of praise to you, Father. And I know that we can learn much from her because she's learned from you. So we thank you for what will be taught today. And I just pray that we will all go out and live it, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again. <laughs> Can you all see me? I'm rather short, so. <laughs> I'm excited about today's word. Um, I haven't preached in a long time. It's been probably six years <laughs> since I've preached, and that was in the youth. So this is awesome. Um, just a little testimony of how it all happened. I was actually reading uh, one of the scriptures that I'm going to be talking about today, and the Lord was just downloading information to me. It was like, I think maybe last Tuesday, and I was like, oh, this could be a sermon. And then that night after prayer, Pastor Shelley called me, and she's like, hey, would you like to speak at the Jewel's Brunch? And I was like, oh, sure, because <laughs> kind of already had something. So, But today we're going to be talking about worshiping in all circumstances. And actually, my title says, Worship in All Circumstances. So, I want to give a little bit of a definition of what worship is. In the Old English, it's worth Skype. And it's kind of a weird spelling. But I like this definition. I found it on Oxford's Languages. It says, Worthiness, acknowledgement of worth, or worth-ship. So, that's where our modern-day worship derives from. In the spelling. In the English language, in Webster's Dictionary, modern day English, it says to honor or show reverence for as a divine or supernatural power, to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. And then in the Hebrew, it's the word is shakah, and it means to depress, which not to depress your spirit, but that you would physically, like a tongue depressor, when you put it on your tongue, it depresses your tongue. You're Going, you can't go up. You are depressed in that position, prostrate, bow oneself down, fall down flat, and reverence. And I found that in the Strong's Concordance. 
Worship is not contingent on what we get, but what we can give our God. Our God's sovereignty and goodness is not determined by our circumstances or our emotions. It is his nature that evokes us to worship him. It is his command. In Luke 19.40, it says, But he answered and said to them, this is right before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, speaking of the multitudes to the Pharisees, the stones would immediately cry out. So we are created to worship. Our very voice is meant to praise our God. And if we do not, the earth will cry out because it also was created to worship him. There have actually been studies, and I don't have this on the screen or anything, but where they have recorded different parts of the universe around space, in the oceans, and it comes out to a beautiful chord. That the earth is constantly making music to our God, and so should we. In Revelation 4, 8, it says, The four living creatures, each have six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. That's the heavenly beings. We on earth and heaven, we're constantly praising our God. Amen. Psalms 29.2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord and beauty of his holiness. Psalm 102, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. These are all commands. These are all things that we should be doing, right, in our daily walk with God. Luke 4.8 says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the last is not necessarily about our song, but about our life. Romans 12.1 says, and this is actually the NIV. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That goes with our title, right? Worshiping in all circumstances. How do we do that? The renewing of our mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the opportunity to be able to speak this morning. I thank you, God, that our hearts are pliable and that... We are wanting to learn of you, Lord. I thank you for these beautiful women, Lord Jesus. You know that the lives they've lived have honored you, Father. And I pray that you will pour blessing upon blessing upon each one here and each one listening online. Father, I pray that you will just tenderize our hearts to be able to hear you. Lord, use my voice to your will, God, not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said before, worship in all circumstances, worship is not contingent on what we can get. Worshiping God does result in deliverance. God is faithful to his people and will keep his word. Why is there power in worship? And there's power in God's name. His glory is powerful because when we praise, he comes and he inhabits the praises of his people. So every time we speak, we tell our testimony, every time that we decide to worship him, not just up here or out there together in song, but every time that we speak the Lord's name, he inhabits that praise and he's with us. Amen. So I want to take it to, um, to Daniel 3. 
So in Daniel 3, this is kind of tying into Romans 12, letting our bodies and being living, sacrificed, holy and pleasing to God through all circumstances. It says that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. So basically it was 90 feet tall. It's really tall. He set it up plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and he sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, and everybody. We're not going to name all of them today. But he asked all of the officials to come together, and then he, um, sorry, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then the herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So... At that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages, fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And therefore, at that certain time, Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Said, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery um, must worship the gold image. But they accused the Jews. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want us to note that just previous to this, they're friends of Daniel. Daniel had just interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. So everybody was promoted. They were governors of this province. They were in high rank, right? So they had just gained favor um, in the land. So then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at this time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all the music, and you fall down and worship the image I made good. But if you do not, you shall be cast immediately in the midst of the burning furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you from my hands? And I love the answer that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. How many of you have had some even-if situations in your life? I know that I have. I've had some even-ifs, and I've had choices. We all have choices to make in those even-if moments to either serve God or to turn away. And that's our choice, right? God's not going to bear down on us. He's a gentleman. He doesn't do that. He loves us. He gives us that choice freely. But it's important to note that when we do turn from God, it's not that he turns from us. But in the word it says in, actually, Second Chronicles 15.2, it says, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So that's pretty heavy, you know. Our choices not only affect 
you know, the people around us. But our worship affects our own personal life. And I know that from experience. Whenever I was 18 years old, I walked away from church completely. I left. And this is just talking about even ifs, right? We were going through some really hard times in my family. And I think I was just, you know, put off by it. All my friends had abandoned me. Like, I felt like nobody cared in the church. And so I was making man my God, obviously. I was comparing God's nature to man's nature, and you should never do that because God is God all by himself. Man can never be an example of him fully because we're fallen, right? We can do the best that we can. Somebody's going to offend you someday, right? Somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Something's going to happen. So God is sovereign, and he is good all the time. So I left for a year. And I remember in that moment, thank goodness for my mother, because she prayed for me, and she prayed for protection. But because I had walked away, I mean completely, like I didn't even talk to God for a whole year. I was so alone. And it took me a long time to get my life back on track. After when I came back, just things weren't playing out the way they needed to. Everything that I had wanted to do before that moment, it wasn't adding up all my plans because I had walked away from his covering. That was my even if I had that choice, but I didn't choose God in that moment. But later on in life, as I got married, you know, marriage really will make or break a person. I think it'll make you stronger if you let it, and it'll grow you as a person. But as I was married, I had a lot of even-ifs situations, that even in this situation I'm going to worship God, even in this situation I'm going to press in, even if my husband isn't going to church, I'm still going to go to church. Even if he doesn't want to tithe, I'm still going to give my money. I'm not calling Alan out. I'm just telling you what we went through in our beginning of our marriage, even if... My family persecutes me, not my own, but my in-laws persecute me for my faith. Even if these things happen, even if I don't get the position as worship leader at my previous church, I'm going to still worship God. And I did. I chose to worship God. And I really believe that God refined me in that moment. And I know that he was certainly good. In 2014... Alan and I got pregnant, and in 2015, in January, I had a miscarriage. And I, I don't know if you've never experienced it. It's the most heartbreaking thing because you can't control it, you know. I've experienced death before. I mean, own personal and just being a pianist, I have played at multiple funerals, you know, for different ages, and they've all been heartbreaking people that I've loved and people that I didn't even know. But losing a child, even one that I didn't get to hold, was the most heartbreaking thing. And I remember sitting there, and I think it was the biggest challenge, my biggest even if, even if I've lost this baby, will I worship God? And there was a moment that I was crying on the couch, and I um told Alan and I had that thought in my head that I wanted to be angry and I wanted to blame somebody. But I said, no. And I told Alan out loud, I said, I am not going to be mad at God. In my wretch and in my heartbreak, 
I'm not going to be mad at him. It's not his fault. He is still good. And I walked over to my piano, and I played a song, and we worshiped that day. Not going to say it was easy going through that healing process, but it was a beautiful time that I got to learn about my God. And the reward from that, because I sought him, he was found by me. He showed me himself. He showed me things about his nature that I didn't know before. And then, of course, I came here to the Art Fellowship right after that. And I've been super blessed. We prayed for a, a child, and we were pregnant with Marie in August, the same month that I was supposed to have our child. And so God is good. So when we choose to worship through our circumstances, he is faithful to deliver. He is faithful to speak. His voice is louder than the storm. When he says, peace be still, it will be still. And it may not always look like what we want. Of course, I didn't want my baby to be lost. But out of that, there was such beauty that came forth because of his goodness, because of his mercy. And that's on a personal level. What about in our congregation? I want us to... Oh, and if y'all didn't know, which I'm sure all of you do, and online, Shadrach and Meshach were thrown into the furnace, but they weren't burned up. Jesus did deliver them, right? And that's the testimony, amen? And I love the part, and I think in all the stories that I'm talking about this morning, this is so valuable to note, that after the deliverance, the enemy, (laughs) he immediately responds and says, this is God. This is God, and we are going to worship. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He says, anybody who speaks against this God will be executed. They will be killed. And that's throughout all of these scriptures that we're going to talk about, that through their choice, their testimony was also able to speak to others. Your choice brings glory to God. Amen? So... The story that I want to go to this morning, the scripture, Second Chronicles 20. I like using my phone because it has a lot of different versions. And I have the NIV, but I want to use the New King James. Because that's what I told Teresa I was going to use. <laughs> I don't want to mess her up. Okay. So... That's good. I got it. Okay. So Second Chronicles 20. And I'm not going to read all of it because it is a lot. But I'm going to, there's some key points here. So Second Chronicles 21. And it happened after this, the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar. And Jehoshaphat feared. This is a very key verse. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek him. That's really important. That word to seek in the Hebrew is bakash. It means to seek, to search, to consult. In this particular passage, it means 
to secure God's help or favor. And emotively, this word means to care for our worship. So in that previous scripture that we read, Second Chronicles 15, 2, it says, Hear me, Asa. And Asa was Jehoshaphat's father. So he was taught from a young boy to seek the Lord. And he knew the consequence of if he didn't, right? He knew the promise. He knew that God had spoken to his dad about that. So as we were speaking before, seek the Lord in your troubles and you will find him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms and the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built your sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence. For your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, and in another translation it says infants, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. He didn't focus in on the problem first. He spoke the testimony of his ancestors. He knew the word and he knew what God had done for everybody else prior to him. And he stood on that promise and he proclaimed it back to God. I think it's so important if we know that a lot of this wasn't handwritten back then. This was oral tradition. So in Deuteronomy, I believe it's six that it says for us to teach our children and to admonish them day and night as you sit, as you eat, as you play, all of these things so that they'll know the word. And that's exactly what his father did. It's exactly what his brothers and sisters did. They sat together and they talked about these things. That's how he knew it. He sat in the temple and he learned. Of course, he was a king, so he was more educated than most. But through the writings and oral tradition, they passed these things down, so he knew it on his heart. And it's no coincidence that these little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord and heard this as well. So they were a part of this testimony that was about to come. And this is just a side note, but as we're going through our trials, our grandchildren, our kids, our nieces, our nephews, for those that don't have children yet, it's important for us to tell them the victories that we've had to make sure that they know these Bible stories, that they know the words, so that when they speak to God, they can call upon this. Because that in itself is worship. You're exhorting him what he's done and what his namesake is. So they went before this battle with that premise, worshiping him in all of his holiness, telling him of what he's done. And they're like, and we're going to stand in this temple and we're going to worship, not just by themselves, but together. Every time that we gather on a Sunday, every time that we gather on a Wednesday here in this moment, this is precious to God. There is power when we sing these songs. There is power when we exhort and encourage each other when we are passing by. 
And that's seen in this scripture as well. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benai. Basically, he was from the line of Asaph, which was David's head worship leader. He was a priest of worship, this person who was speaking. He said, listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I'm going to skip down into 17. It says, you will not need to fight this battle. Position yourself, and just as we sang this morning, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And what did Jehoshaphat do and all of the people with him? The congregation... They bowed before God, says Jehoshaphat, bowed his head and with his face to the ground in all humility and all of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the worship leaders, the Kohathites and the Korahites, they stood up and praised the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So that's amazing in itself. They came together, all of them, and they worshiped just as we had been talking about before. And what was the victory of that? They didn't go out with guns blazing. They did exactly what they were doing before. He appointed worshipers, not worship leaders like priests. No, he appointed singers, just people like everyone here to go and to sing, some to worship, some to praise, to clap, and to dance. And they all just stood still, and he was like, hey, you guys go before and sing. And that's what they did, and they exhorted God in all of his holiness. And what they said was, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And they sang it over and over and over again. And immediately, whenever they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So our praise is powerful. When we worship God, like I said, he inhabits the praise of his people. And I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. You guys have all been Christians probably for a long time. I think it's important to remember and for everyone out here watching that our praise is so important. Don't just discount it. You know, it's just a song. And I like that song, and that song's nice, and it's great. No, when you sing about God, and you're singing the truth of the word, it goes up to the heavens. You are doing exactly what the heavenly beings are doing. There is weight, and there is power. The enemy shudders whenever you open your mouth and sing praise to our God. Just like this When we praise, he comes and he defeats our enemy. We only have to stand still. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. He is a good God and he cares for us. And what I love about this, there's a few more points. First off, the enemy was defeated. When they went to go and do what they needed to do, they were expecting to have a battle and then they found everybody was dead. They also found that there was blessing upon blessing. There was abundant plunder for them. So the battle may look crazy. Life may look crazy. 
But even as I've experienced in my own life, and I'm sure you have this testimony as well, after my miscarriage, it looked bleak, but God blessed me with a job, and God blessed me with a child again, and he blessed our finances, and he blessed our marriage. Why? Because we chose to worship. I'm just bringing it back to myself because all I have is my own testimony, right? We have our own testimonies. And that's exactly what he did for them. They bowed down in submission to their God. Not just with their words, but with, with their life, they bowed down before him. And he answered them, and immediately he defeated their enemies, and he blessed them abundantly more. Amen? I want us to take it to, I'm not a long speaker, but that's okay. So I want to take it to Paul and Silas, Acts 16, 25 through 34. But we're going to go through a little bit of the backstory because it's important. I love this story. Do you guys love this story? Such a good story. All right, Acts 16. Okay. So Paul and Silas were in Philippi. For those that don't know, the letter of Philippians came, was to the people in Philippi, right? And so he was, Paul and Silas were having a good time with their Christian brothers and sisters. They were leading people to Christ. And they were going to a prayer meeting. And all of a sudden, this slave girl who was possessed with the spirit of divination, she's a fortune teller, basically, and she, you know, performed magic and whatever. Um, she was following Paul and Silas and was crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. How many of you know the enemy does know who God is? He does. But he wasn't. this girl wasn't saying it because she was praising God, although that... It's praise, even though it's not what they wanted. But it almost seems to me as if she were mocking them as they were going through. And finally, Paul just got tired of it. And he turned around and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace of the authorities. They brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. What they didn't know was that Paul and Silas were actually Roman citizens. So they were Romans as well, and they had rights. And I think it's important to note that Paul didn't actually say anything. He could have said something at this moment before they started beating him, but he never did. So he was beaten, they were stripped of their clothes, and then they were thrown into prison, right? But at midnight, this is 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaking. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. I want us to note that the prisoners were listening to them. This is my own thought. I have not read any commentary on this or study, but as I'm thinking, why would God just open all the doors? 
he could have just opened Paul and Silas because they were the ones who were singing. But he noted that the prisoners were listening to them. So as they were praying, as they were singing, their faith was activated. They may not have believed in God ever before, but they knew what had happened to Paul and Silas. They knew they were there wrongfully without a trial. They knew that they had been beaten and whipped, but yet they were choosing to pray and to worship. And so these people heard, and I can't help but think that as they sang and this earthquake happened, that they were able to, their faith was activated for their doors to be opened, for their chains to come off, right? So our worship, our praise, our testimony affects those people around us, right? And it says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. I love this story for so many reasons. First, that he worshipped through persecution. I don't know, some of us have probably gone through some level of persecution, whether it be with our loved ones or co-workers or I even think of now and today as we are standing with the church, and this is something I meant to mention, our battle may not be individually, but I know that right now our, the church is going through persecution, and we are going through a battle. So as we're walking and we're standing and we're worshiping, I'm digressing back to the other story, and it ties into this, but it's important to note that we need to stand just as they did in this battle as maybe possibly we are persecuted or we're put pressure upon to conform to the world because the government and world leaders say so. But that's not why we're here. We're here to please our God. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas did. And their testimony, if anything, out of that day, what if all of it, everything that happened was just so that that man and his family could be saved. They went through that persecution. They went through that beating so that person could see what had happened and see the evidence of God. And then he became a mighty warrior for Christ. Not saying that things happen for other people, but it's in God's nature to use those things that were ashes and turn them into beauty. Amen. All right, so I want to say this. I want to say this. When Paul went through what he went through in persecution, he did not tell everybody that he was a Roman citizen. He didn't get all irate, right? He wasn't like, how dare you? I'm a Roman citizen. Take your hands off me. No, he didn't. 
He let it happen. The man was saved. But after all of that, after he brought glory to God, he, they tried to release him, and they're like, we did wrong. I'm so sorry. Um, you can go now. And Paul was like, stop. I am not going anywhere because I'm a Roman citizen, and I have rights, and you have violated my rights. So you tell the magistrate that he needs to come here and apologize to me and escort me out. And so that's exactly what he did. And magistrates knew they did wrong because in those times, doing that to a Roman citizen without a trial could have quite possibly led to his death, right? So it was a pretty serious situation. So I say all this to say that as we go through these times of testing, remember who you are as a believer and your rights as a citizen of this nation. I'm not going to get all political, but it is okay to say I'm a Christian and I have rights. It is okay to live out our faith, but be expectant of our rights to be upheld. There's no shame in that. So I say all of that, say live a life of worship. I want to take it back to Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This morning, as we go through situations in our life, whether they be joyful or they be sorrowful or they just, they're just in between, it's just the stagnant of life, you're just going through life, whatever it is, I implore you to make sure that we're giving all thanks, all glory to God, and that it is our pleasing and good sacrifice to him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that we are here. And Lord, we just come and surrender, Father God, to your will in our life. Lord, we come and surrender and to submission to you and your greatness. Lord, let our lips please you, Father God. Let our words bring you glory and honor. Let our lives bring you glory and honor. Lord, I pray that our testimony will bring people to you, Lord Jesus. As it says in your word, it's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome. Lord, I pray right now that you will strengthen every woman here and every circumstance that they're going through, Lord. That the battle is won by your hand and your hand alone. We cannot do it in our own human strength. But, Lord, there is so much blessing and so much promise and so much healing whenever we're able to stand still and rest in our Father. Lord, we just honor you today and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So 